you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello! And for the second to last time... Welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest featuring two veteran operatives and one not so newly initiated. <laughs> my name is Justin and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit Anna. Jude? I think Anna has a yellow box by yeah, now. Yeah, Jude. I, think, Jude, I don't think a, she's a newbie at this point. Yeah. Jude, Anna, are you bad enough dudes to save the president? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but I think Michael might have witnessed like part of a motorcade on his way back from the airport um, yesterday. So that was exciting. Were there any UAVs in the air above it? Because no, just like a shit ton of cops on motorcycles clearing the road. Fair enough. Apparently, it was like forty cop motorcycles. Hmm. I have a question. What is the collective noun for police? Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. A sty. Yeah, that, that was, I was I was trying to go for like what is what do you call a group of pigs? Sty is good though. That that has a real gross yeah. sound to it. I like <laughs> yeah, that. No, that's good. I, I'm actually curious. How often do you get detoured by the Secret Service in DC? Um, very rarely because I don't live in DC proper. Well, yeah, um, I, I mean, think, okay. I think the people who live in DC proper, like, I think that it's just motorcades and such are like a way of life. Okay. That, that they happen. So tonight we are covering episodes 10 and 11 of season 5 of Person of Interest. Hold on. Put a record scratch in there, Zathras. First, we have to cover one thing. We have to talk about the fact that there's some B5 news. Yes. Yes, there is. Yes. So... Last Wednesday, so so we are recording this on, for posterity's sake, on May 12th. And on May 3rd, Mr. 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 J. Michael Straczynski, uh, beta by Spellcheck, um, has, he, you know, dropped a pic of a script. We And this Wednesday, uh, so like two days ago, we got more information about it. That is Babylon 5, The Road Home. Which, and a really gorgeous screen yeah. uh, image of the station, yes. which it turns out is a screen grab from the actual movie. Dang. Yes. Uh, and it will be an animated movie featuring all the vo- the voices of all the original cast that are still around. Other than Marcus, apparently. Uh, except for Marcus, who isn't apparently in the film. Uh, and uh, a bunch of people have been recast, question mark. Uh, but it also involves like alternate timelines and stuff. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what that's about. Um, but we're very excited. Um, we wanted to put this in the episode to acknowledge that, yes, we've seen it, obviously. Um, yes, we're excited for it. Yes, obviously, we're going to cover it. Um, mm-hmm. And we will do a more thorough hype 
coverage episode when the trailer drops. In case you doubted that we that we were doing any of those things, uh, we thought we would mention it at the top of this episode. Okay. The the thing the, the thing that I am like low key hype about is that the direct is the director is like a guy who's done like the DC animated movies, ooh, which, which are really mostly pretty pretty freaking high quality. Yeah. Which is like if it, I, I don't know, like and we the only thing we've seen is the well, like the only thing we've seen is the station, so we don't, haven't seen people or anything. But the animation does look good. Which yeah, uh, as somebody yeah. who every time I see something that is like animation, like I, I read a pitch that is adult animation, I clench the arms of my chair because <laughs> <laughs> you always know it's uh, either going to be really good or garbage it's either going to yeah. be really good or it's going to be a rick and morty ish look yeah piece yeah. of shit yeah jms has been prolific on twitter talking about how excited he is about this um and it's jms so he's a bit of a hype man for himself uh at all times i i will say this like i mean this in the most affectionate way that man is a carny <laughs> <laughs> What a profoundly accurate way to describe JMS. Yes. God, um, on the head. He, he's, yes. He's, However. He's sitting there in the dunk tank, like, just goading the fans. Yeah. And, and hiding the super soaker behind his back. To his credit, the one of the things he talked about was that he filmed director's commentary with Bruce Boxlitner. And he said, if you li- when you listen to it, it there there's a reason why you will not hear as much of Bruce on it as you will of JMS. And that's because he said Bruce was so overcome watching it, he kind of forgot to talk while watching it. And he just kind of got swept away watching it. And like, they kept having to like remind him that like, you're on mic, say stuff. (laughs) Because he hadn't seen it put together. He recorded his lines, but he hadn't Mm -hmm. seen it come together. And he was like completely blown away by it. And was was quite like moved by it. So well, that's promising. Yeah, yeah I feel like yeah the cast loved that show, and I feel like that's promising. That if he was like you know moved by it, I think that speaks that speaks to uh, a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. I think we're all excited for it. We're all looking forward to to watching it and uh, doing some coverage of it. And thankfully, we don't have to wait long because apparently. Uh, it's dropping sometime this summer. Uh, Comic-Con is what most people are expecting. So Maybe it'll drop July 30th for my birthday. That would be... We can record our, our super fun, cheery episodes now. <laughs> I just thought I, I just wanted to make sure we got that done to the top so that people knew that we were on it. And didn't add us on Twitter. Yeah. Yes. To, to which, frankly, if you at me about anything, I will block you. I mean, I, I frankly... Yeah. Well, no, if you're nice about it, I'll talk with you. But I mean, if you're mean to me, I, I block on, I block liberally now. I also block if you pay for Twitter. <laughs> Valid. Same. All right. Tonight we are covering two episodes of season five, which are like we the, the third and fourth to last episodes of this series. Uh, these are episodes 10, The Day the World Went Away, and episode 11, Synecdoche. Um, I have the day the world went away, so I will take us away. 
Um, this was written by Andy Callahan and Melissa Scribner Love and directed by Frederick Eotoy. Our episode starts out with Finch talking to the machine about what is to come and asking the machine to see if there's any way to save the others. When he returns to the subway, Root confronts him about closing the machine system. Root reminds him that they're not living, they're surviving. She wants the machine... She wants to win, and she wants the machine to be able to help. However, Harold still closes the system and says that the machine will find a way. A number comes up. It's Harold. Samaritan agents come for Harold at the college, and Rude and John save him. Shaw suggests that she's the reason that they found out Harold's cover. However, John suggests going on the offensive, attacking the biz that Samaritan's hitmen came from. Rude also reveals to Harold that she gave the machine some defensive measures, but they can only be activated if Harold requests them. Elias offers to take Harold to a safe place, the apartments they originally rescued Elias from back in Season 1. The two of them talk, and both of them remark that they expected to be in prison by now. Harold realizes that he had been spotted not because of Shaw, but because he slipped up and went to a cafe where he had taken Grace on their first date, ten years ago to the day. John and Fusco head to a temp firm that is hiring hitmen to try to, trying to find out more about the hitmen, while Rude and Shaw get ambushed by Samaritan agents, and hitmen close in on Elias and Harold. As Elias gets Harold to a car, they make a running five of it, but Elias is killed, and Harold is captured. Harold is taken to Greer, who wants to convert Harold to work for Samaritan. Ooh. <laughs> It's it's very Darth Vader of you will turn to the dark side. Um, yeah. Rude and Shaw intercept the van carrying Harold, and Shaw has them leave without her while she holds them off. Root remarks that the machine has been watching it, and part of them lives on the machine through the simulations. So it's sort of like uh, afterlife, and the, nobody dies while the machine... Nobody really dies while the machine is there. We get a cool action scene where, he, where Root shoots a high-powered rifle out of a sunroof at Samaritan Pursuers while stealing with her foot. And I just needed to point this out because it's ridiculous yeah. in a very cool, fun way. There's a lot of well-shot action scenes in this episode, and action scenes don't make for good summary. <laughs> I also like that – I also want to point out here that my th- as they are – she's shooting at a guy with a minigun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And this, your thought in this scene is this is horse shit. How, how does she manage to hit them when they can't hit her? And then she comes and then she slides back into the car and goes amateurs. And you're like, yeah, because Root's a fucking boss. That's why. Yeah. It is literally there are like, <laughs> I would say on screen, not counting like stuff we don't see in, in between cuts. 500 rounds from this minigun fired and they only ever dent paint. <laughs> yeah, that car they're driving should should really be like two bikes and a single piece of metal by the time they, they stop moving. Not to mention that like, you know, cars aren't actually that good at stopping bullets. No, they, yeah. they're, depend, they're... Depending on the part of the car, certainly. No, they're... they're, they're uh, this, especially modern cars, they're plastic and and plastic and zip ties basically that are meant to crumple when you hit them with things so that you don't die. Unless yeah. they're a cyber truck, in which case they're designed to not crumple and instead just kill you. Yeah. Yes. Well, John and Fusco rescue Shaw while we keep getting cutaways to Jeffrey Blackwell, that guy that keeps popping up who works for Samaritan now, um, who has been tasked with attacking a the car that Rune and Harold are in. 
Root tells Harold that he's got to fight, while Harold says they've already lost. At the last second, Root sees Blackwell, who, who, by the way, we're like, is in God mode. Um, like that's an important thing. Um, he's uh, Root swerves the car and ends up getting shot. They are stopped by a, a police cordon, and Harold is arrested. Harold's prints ping the feds, including a 1974 charge for treason. Um, Fusco heads to the hospital for Root, while Sean and Jaw head for. Did I say Sean and Jaw? Yes, you did. Yes, you are tongue twistering the shit out of yourself uh, tonight. Well, John and <laughs> Sean head for Harold. Um, <laughs> the federal investigator starts to poke at Harold's history. Harold then gives a speech, speaking to Samaritan. He is done playing by the rules that restrain him, and he says that he will kill Samaritan. The question is how much he is willing to give up for that. He's put back into holding, but as he's being transferred, a payphone in the precinct rings. The all-too-familiar question, can you hear me, is asked in Root's voice. When Harold asks if she can get him out, she replies, I can do anything. While we get a flash to Fusco finding Root in the hospital morgue. As John and Shaw come up, over 600 prisoners have been released from lockup, and John muses that maybe the reason Harold's number came up is that he isn't a victim, he's a perpetrator. The last shot of this episode with the music, the the song, the titular song of this episode, The Day the World Went Away, starting to like thrum up in the background as the prison riots and we see Root dead on the dead in the morgue and Harold in, you know escaping is such a powerful scene. That song is so well chosen mm-hmm. for this episode. Um, this show has always fucking crushed it with music choices, but particularly they they really are nailing it in this episode. It reminds me of some of the other like really key music choices in this series, like when mm-hmm. they use the uh, David Bowie song, I'm Afraid of Americans, and some other moments. It's just it's just perfect. Yeah. It's a really memorable moment for me in the show. The needle the needle drops in the show are are incredible. Like and I also appreciate that there's there's needle drops from a really pretty broad range of genres that like we have, you know, everything from like Johnny Cash to Nine Inch Nails to the Glitch Mob. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we looked this up once to find out if this show ever won any awards for its music. But if it didn't, it's a crime. Yeah. Because whoever was choosing and arranging the music for this show uh, deserves an award. There's so much in this episode to talk about. It's going to be a minute. Uh, Yeah. This episode takes off from like one quiet moment and then just launches forward. Yeah, It's like, you know, it's like instantly like, okay, this is end game. Yeah, yeah, um, and like, and it's like this is Endgame, and also this is where the bloodbath begins. I'm assuming, character wise. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got. I mean, we two- killed two principal characters in one episode. Yeah. yeah, I will say my one thing about this episode that I don't like. The the only thing in this episode I don't like is I fucking, I'm so over Harold's fuck uh, fucking like, code of honor horseshit. Yeah, that we have to get a we have to get a big spoonful of it at the beginning, so that 
when he decides to throw it away, it feels like you're reminded of it. Mm-hmm. But like his whole like, I'm going to lock the machine down because blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, good Christ, man. Is this really the time to get fucking back up on your high horse? Is <laughs> he's Harold, so shit? yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's Harold. But like, ah, uh, you just want to fucking wring his neck. I, it's so infuriating that he is still, tr- he is still trying to hold on to some high ground while the world is burning down around him. And see, this is, and this is why, like, I don't, like, truly buy that, like, Harold underneath everything is, like, truly dark Harold. Because, like, because, like, nobody who's, like, truly at their core that dark has this many principles. Right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think it is a joke. I, I think, honestly, like, we started using that in chat. I honestly am using it as a joke. Um, yeah. But it's, like, there is... In how he is operating, there is a definite change. Yeah. Um, like, it's proactive Harold. Um, yeah, yeah which exactly. Like I don't think he's doing anything particularly... Well, there's something he does in the next episode that is really fucking evil. <laughs> um, but we'll get yeah. to that when it... And even that, we'll, yeah. get, we'll get to that. But, like, even that, I mean, he says something that could be perceived as evil, but... We don't see what he would have done if things would have gone if things had gone differently. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the I, threat, pretty the threat is evil. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. There are some parts of this episode though that I adore. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite little ones is there's never a debate about Elias Elias's role in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's never been a like a uh, a moment. With everybody else, there's been like a moment where they like join the team, right? Mm-hmm. Elias doesn't get that moment. He's just been around so much. And then in this episode, there's just nobody asks, nobody says like this isn't your fight, ex- except for fucking Finch later on, but that doesn't count because it's just Finch being fucking Finch. Um <laughs> But like he's just he's just like, I'll take I'll take Harold someplace safe, and everybody's like, Yep, and f- Reese is just handing him guns, just like one of the team. And I really love that they've reached this point with Elias that he's just they he's just part of the team. Like yeah. he he's just one of them. For better or for worse, for whatever he is or was, like he's one of them now. And I I love that moment. Um so of course he has to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> we get this nice moment of unity there uh so of course he has to die um and that his death is so sudden and mundane it's not some like sniper from a bridge mob war it's he just gets the somebody gets the drop on him and he turns around and he gets shot yeah and i think that i think that that also meshes with the kind of um you know one of the themes of this episode which is like they're all humans and they were going to fuck up eventually. And yeah. like, that's how this episode starts is Harold fucks up. He goes to a cafe that he's been to before and he's recognized and Samaritan catches it and it's yeah. all over. Right. Like, and, you know, similarly, like, you know, I think Elias, you know, kind of eating it like a normal human. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of like, 
I think fits into that of like that ultimately, you know, they've had a really good run, but eventually shit hits the fan and like, you know, they've yeah. run out of track. There's a really interesting thing where there's after after Elias is killed, when John and Fusco show up, the camera work in that scene where it's it's positioned like ground level pointed up at. Yeah at John and Fusco with Elias in like the bottom third is a shot. We is a shot. We usually see in like cop dramas, but it's a shot yeah. we've never seen in this series, which I think is yeah. really interesting. That scene is so interesting. Um, the way John just sort of gently takes his glasses off. And closes his eyes. And puts too. them in his pocket. Yeah. The, the, we, we, you know, let's, let's talk, you know, it's, there's the thing where it's the, the the intricate rituals that men put to to touch each other, <laughs> yeah, uh, like you know, and, and to express affection. Uh, yep, it is. Yeah, it's <sighs> it's just such a quiet moment. There is just uh, the taking of the glasses really got me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is some. This is a man he respected and the man that he liked who died protecting his boyfriend, and he. I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, he just, he wanted to keep something. Yeah. And I, I think that's very, I wonder if it was in the script or if the actor just did it or it was directed in the moment, but I, it's, it's such a nice little touch Mm -hmm. that I really, really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And it's, and it's a very human moment too. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that one thing we haven't mentioned is that we do have a new intro this time. Where Fusco gets a yellow box. Yeah, our oh boy my gets a yellow it's, box, it's and it everything. makes me so happy. I, yep. it was seeing that it was like, yes, finally, finally, Fusco gets a yellow box. These last couple of episodes, Fusco really, I mean, he's been great this whole show, but Fusco really is him finally like standing up to John and being like, no, yeah, mm-hmm. and coming into like really. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, he's, uh, I don't know. I just love Fusco in this season. And, uh, his arc is, is one of my favorite arcs on television. Him and Root have such, just such well done character development in this show. Mm-hmm. The, uh, one thing that I absolutely love is, um, that when Harold and Elias are escaping from the projects and, like they're they're cornered by two Samaritan goons. One of them says, "Like, oh, you can't shoot both of us before we get you." And then you hear a gun. You hear two shots, and Elias <laughs> is like, "No, but he can." And the janitor is holding this fuck off desert eagle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But he's like, "Yeah, I never leave. Oh uh, yeah, I'm glad I brought the mop to work today." <laughs> yeah it's very good it's yeah it's very good which i think it's it's an interesting thing of like as they're escaping it's more and more of elias's backup coming in and when you think elias is like when they're outside and elias is like get like you know he's turning around it's like oh it's somebody coming from the building it's more help and then yeah and then it's that's it. it's so quick and it's so like the actual moment of death there's no drama in it 
Yeah. No, there's no yeah. buildup. There's no, and I think that's very, very intentional oh, yeah. that they have reached the point where they've run out of the, they've run out of time. Yeah. They've run out of, they have run out of uh, luck and now they're, they're subject to just, I, I, I'm not even saying it right. They're, I think you said it better. Anna. They're, <laughs> they've, they've run out of runway yeah. and now it's just, now they're suffering the consequences and sometimes that means they just get shot. Yep. I also, the other thing that I like absolutely think we need to talk about is Harold's speech. Um, yes. Like, yeah, I, I was just going to say, it, like, there's... I call it the rules speech. Um, and first yeah. of all, Michael Emerson kills it, like, so thoroughly with this. I I will ask Zathras to put in the actual the actual audio, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to read it. Harold says, I have played by the rules for so long. The FBI agent says, not I have played by the rules for so long. Not from where I'm sitting. No, not your rules. You work at the behest of a system so broken that you didn't even notice when it became corrupted at its core. When I first broke your rules, a sitting president had authorized assassination squads in Laos and the head of the FBI had ordered his men, you, to conduct illegal surveillance on his political rivals. Your rules have changed every time that was convenient for you. I was talking about my rules. I have lived by those rules for so long, believed in them for so long, believed that if you played by the right rules, eventually you would win. But I was wrong, wasn't I? And all the people I cared about are dead, or will be dead soon enough. We will be gone without a trace. So now I have to decide. Decide whether to let my friends die, to let hope die, to let the world be ground under your heel, all because I play by my rules. I'm going to kill you. But I need to decide how far I'm willing to go. How many of my own rules I'm willing to break to get it done. Look, you want to add threatening the life of a federal agent to your file, I will draw up those charges right now. No waiting is required. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> it's great. I, I, Emerson and Emerson's delivery on that is incredible. Oh, it's yeah. it's so like it's so intentionally sinister. 
Yeah, and Emerson's surprisingly like very, very good at sinister. Like mm-hmm. he seems like he he's he's also very good at like mild mannered, but yes. like damn. It's why they keep putting him in the same exact role of like eventual arch villain of a series. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean like he like I mean you Lost was a lot. Don't cast him in a show unless there's going to be a uh, unless there's going to be a slightly uh, slightly evil overtone speech at some point. Right, right. You're just not getting your money's worth if you don't have him give some sort of a speech. I also I also want to talk about the conversation with Harold and Root at the start of the episode where they're talking about where they're talking about the machine um, mm-hmm. and. Root takes Harold to task for never naming the machine or giving giving it a voice. And he says, well, you know, I wanted the machine to be able to choose both of those things, which I, I yeah. really liked. And, and, mm-hmm. and we, okay. hit, we hit I that. I have a problem with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because because we know that back when Harold originally made the machine, he did not think of it as sapient. No, that's not why. I don't. I reject his 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 defense there because he put it in a fucking box, unable to talk to anyone. Yeah. So if he really intended it to have a name and a voice, he wouldn't have put it in a box. True. Yeah. I, I think that is, I mean, maybe, I, I maybe think he's talking maybe about, maybe in he's his talking original about machine, con- like kind of machine 2.0 because, yeah, you know, in, or maybe it's his original conception, but I, I always find it. I have struggled, especially in this rewatch, knowing sort of front to back how Harold works, the way that he sometimes will treat the machine like this child, but then other times he treats it like a piece of software that he locked in a box so it didn't get out. And and sometimes you know, he treats like a, you know, malevolent, malevolent overlord. Yeah. And this is one of those times where it's like, well, we're full of shit. Like, <laughs> well, that, that speech, the fact that, that, that conversation was effective at one thing, which was telling me exactly what was going to happen. At the end of the episode, yeah. because I saw that and it was like, yeah. ah, yes. So Root is going to die and the machine's going to take her voice, right? Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Root dying <laughs> in a second, though. Yeah. In a second. But first, I want to talk about the other great conversation speech in this episode, which is uh, Root and Shaw flirting during a gunfight. Uh, with using using metaphysics, metaphysics as a flirting tool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is fantastic uh but there's there's so much there there's root in full-on like being as vulnerable as we have ever seen root in this show Mm -hmm. to shaw talking about how like this group of people is the the place where she feels like she belongs Mm -hmm. and talking about how like there's a there's a great quote that i i clipped a piece of uh harold has a weakness uh, Shaw says, and then Root says, we all do, and looks with significant <laughs> longing at Shaw. And then there's the metaphysics part, where she starts talking about like how the machine remembers everything. Mm-hmm. And you made this really excellent point in the notes that maybe this was, maybe it's more there than uh, in in Root's, I don't know, maybe it's more there and I just never noticed it, or, or it's, but it's great. I really love it. Um the idea that yeah, so that's the afterlife. Yeah, because I, I, you know, as Root was describing how, like, it's, it was, it wasn't that conversation. It was the conversation where she's in the car with Harold, 
um, and talking and like telling him that like none of them will ever truly die because the machine knows them mm-hmm. and the machine, the machine, you know, they'll live on and all of the, all the machine simulations and the machine's memory. Um, and I just saw that and was like, that's why Root thinks the machine is God because the machine is storing people. And, and because the machine is capable of sort of comprehending, if the world's a simulation, the machine can comprehend reality in a way that they can't. Yeah, but like that, the fact that you, uh, you know, per per what Root believes, the machine essentially directly provides an afterlife. Yeah, if we're all simulations anyway, being simulated by the machine is just another another way to live. Right. Um, which is yeah. which is wild and like because. Root, you know, Root's, you know, description of the machine as God has never, like, it's always been interesting, but it's never, like, quite made sense to me other than Root being kind of nutty. Mm-hmm. But yeah. here, this was, like, the moment where they were in the car there and it just clicked for me being, like, that's why. And, like, it makes sense yeah. to me now. Yeah. I, I think it's it's fantastic. And uh, it lends more credence, by the way, to my theory that... uh. Westworld is a sequel to Person of Interest. <laughs> Person of Interest. Uh, further uh, pushed by next episode, but we'll get there. <laughs> I so I have a so after that conversation with with Harold, uh, Root is shot. Yep. Yeah. And and dies. We briefly just touched on the subject of uh, barrier gaze last episode. Yeah. Two episodes ago. Yeah. And I want to talk about whether. We think this is that. No, we talked about it during seven thousand whatever the number. Yeah. where we talked about it a few episode. times because, like, I've had, I've had, like, I've had the like not foreknowledge as in from spoilers, but foreknowledge because I know how TV shows work. Um, yeah, like yeah. I've known that at least one of Root and Shaw was going to die um, because, like, yeah. because barrier gaze in part. Um, yeah, you know, it's an expectation. Um, and, you know, yes and no, because I think if... Without knowing who else dies in the at by the end of the show, without knowing whether Shaw dies or Finch dies or Root dies or Fusco dies, or without knowing who else dies in the mm-hmm. show, do you think that the way the show has gone so far and the way Root is handled, does that, I, does I that think, qualify? I think... It's complicated because I think if you took the show, the narrative of the show on its own, like divorced from everything else, I think no, especially like the way that the episode runs. You know, we have two deaths in the episode, not just one. Elias, Elias dies. And then Mm -hmm. also the way that Root's death occurs, like we don't have the scene of like Shaw crying over her corpse or like, you know, we don't we don't have the like. You know, th- we have scenes with them before that, but there isn't the like, you know, big dramatic the metaphorical linkage yeah, between. There isn't like the big dramatic like death of a lover scene. Um, yeah. So between the two of them, I feel like I feel like the episode like on its own doesn't like directly qualify. And, you know, it's a although I don't know who the fatalities will be in the next, you know, in the next two episodes past, you know, the last two episodes. Yeah, I'm assuming that there will be a fair number um because that seems to be how this is running um and like 
that makes it at least not directly bury your case for me, but but also like this exists within with this exists within a culture where like bury your gaze is absolutely a thing and it kind of sucks to see yeah. it again. So the things that I know are that Jonathan Nolan had been playing like the the this the end point of root being killed and becoming the voice of the machine had been planned for over three years. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the, this was the sort of like, at least in some way or another, this was the planned end game. Yeah. And Root has gone, like gone off on how many suicide missions at this point? <laughs> like, you know, that, that Root, Root is the one who like always signs up for like, this is probably going to kill me, but it's important. So let's do it. And the other part of this is that, um, <laughs> But like it, it was something that was planned, and here's the thing: I think that this, like, what, like if you view this as beauty your gaze, is entirely up to you. So, listeners, if you disagree with us, that's I think perfectly. I valid. think that the yeah, like I don't think it's it's. I think that a lot of stuff, or I think a lot of barrier gaze stuff, is based on the idea of rejecting the relationship um i do think i do think it sort of sucks that they're so close together between like root and shaw having mm-hmm. that moment of their relationship and then the death if yeah if we if we'd have if we'd had you know a 10 episode stretch where they had been together and yeah. like happy it doesn't work yeah like it doesn't work as like yeah it, it, like with this like sort of focus of it it definitely feels worse yeah um but there's also the the elevation the apotheosis of what root will become over the next few episodes that definitely Mm -hmm. it takes the sting off yeah um and agreed yeah yeah it's just i it's it's partly you know the curse of like limited representation right because if you've got you know, if you've got you know a pretty small fraction of characters who are you know queer of some variety or other, like if you kill them off, then like you're killing off all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's and that's the thing of like you know here we have, um, if there had been if there, you know, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna knock the representation on the show like overall. Like I think that it has done okay. I could say okay in some respects, others it is. Not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you know, it's it's like, okay, well we have we have as far as I can tell, we have one lesbian and one bisexual on the mm-hmm. show, and we just killed off one of them. And yeah. so that's fifty that's a fifty percent mortality rate. Um and that's and that's you know, that's part of why like barrier gaze sucks because yeah. you know, it might make sense for the character to be killed off as part of the arc, but you know, if it's if there's only one, then they're they're gone. Yeah, I, I I do think that like that there is a thing like that. The more egregious barrier gay stuff for like for me is well, okay. I will turn to the to the maybe the Ur example, which is Buffy. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm always curious what people will cite there because I I I hear different things I mean, as as very much sort of a 
I don't want to say outsider to that to this conversation, but someone who who you know is an outsider to this conversation. Uh, it's always interesting to, to me to hear people cite what they think is the or example of barrier. I mean, games. I think it's I like I mean I I, I feel like it's the most yeah it's the most I I mean again if if there's another example but I think it's like it's the it's it's got it's got age on its side where it's like it, mm-hmm. it was it was in the in like the early 2000s yeah that was when season six was um of buffy and like it was and super they made prominent. such a big deal over yeah. the over the relationship and they the had just gotten which, back together yeah uh, the manner in which it happens the effects of it of the story are all like you know it's just like it's sort of i think like it's the textbook example because there's like i mean it's it's a textbook example because like all of the check boxes you would you see in other sources cited, like they all match with that with that instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's and you ask is like is it just because it was like the most egregious example, or is it because everything else just draws from this moment? Um, which so for for reference, the other the the other one that I hear a lot of like the ur example of barrier gaze is uh the one hundred. I think that that is so like I think I like my my thing with it, the hundred is it came fifteen years later. did it really see i that's how like mm-hmm. disconnected from like yeah, come on, that B- show. Buffy was on. Buffy was on when I was in high school. Sorry, no, it was twelve. It, 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 um, second season was twenty sixteen, so it'd have been like thirteen, fourteen years later. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, Buffy definitely has the primal aspect to that. I think that the one hundred was like it was. It was very big because like a lot of viewers were turning into turning into the, tuning into the series because of that relationship, but. This is also a thing of like television, like how there, there we, was more there was more representation on TV. Yeah, when that show was airing, because that was one of the big deals with Buffy was that the the relationship between Willow and Tara was like practically one of a kind on TV at that time. Yeah, and yeah. Also, it's just like we don't really have a ton of these anymore because like just there's so much more content out there and it's more spaced out and we consume different things. But Buffy was like a cultural monolith at the time for mm-hmm. like nerds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's like, it, it's one of those things where it's just like the older thing had like a more centralized audience and there was just less out there. So it's like, it, uh, that's, mm-hmm. you know, we'll say like, I do not like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I think that there's, it's specifically like, there aren't a lot of like g- g- gay male or as many gay male examples of this, it's a it's a thing that happens a lot, specifically to sapphic relationships in television. Mm-hmm. the The main gay male one I um that comes to mind is Discovery. About, yeah, Discovery. That's the, that's the one that always yeah. pings me because it's like it, it, it's the one that like got me. And it's the one that they it's the one that they were like, okay, well, the fans really hated this. Let's well, record scratch. Yeah, uh. <laughs> I mean, in their defense, they fixed that. They they put that back pretty well, yeah. but it's still yeah, it's still a, it's it's really, still hot garbage. Yeah. And learning what we learned about the writers uh, of the early Discovery seasons explains a lot about why 
a, a lot yeah. about that. It's so. why it's such a hard recommendation for me for like the first like the first season is like I mm-hmm. uh, there's so much stuff that is like foundational to show there, but at the same time, it's really fucking rough. Um, yeah. Do we got anything else we want to talk about with this episode? Yeah, I, I do want to say that I've had exactly that student in my office back when I was teaching. God, <laughs> every teacher I, I know. And they were all pre-meds. Describes these students. But the fact that this student is in there, like, slagging his academic credentials. Oh, so funny. <laughs> and then Root, 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 like, speed reads it and immediately is like, he was being too nice. It's a C. Is <laughs> and, so And good. then John comes in and is like, you fail. Get out. <laughs> uh, also, yeah. also, the we might as well be a symphony. What a line. Oh, yeah. If we're just noise in the system, we might as well be a symphony, which is fucking banger when you've got automatic weapons in your hands the next time the next time you want you want to make a move on your love interest uh just take that whole bit and just run with it if that doesn't get you where you're trying to go with someone you're interested in give up listen listen i'm i'm like if i'm a dude quoting philosophy at somebody to head on that but i've already lost (laughs) (laughs) yeah because that's just like a hair's breadth away from you being like well actually i was gonna say i immediately flashed my entire college career (laughs) yeah no it's it's one of those things where it's like it's a lot like it's a lot cooler it's one of those things where it's like in real life this sort of just never works but in fiction it's really cool and and also Last thing, I swear. Um, or I guess not quite last thing. I do have a couple more things. Um, okay. But they're, they're short, I swear. Um, the second to last thing is, you know, speaking speaking of, you know, gay relationships that we wish were, sub, were textual rather than subtextual, as, you know, Harold is, as they, as they get Harold's number and John is like, we go on the offensive. I'm like, Gerald shipping intensifies. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And then finally, I do want to briefly like talk about the the season intro where we have Root's voice. Um, we have Root's voice narrating and being like, "We're all gone." Was that Root or the machine? I guess. I guess. Uh, stay tuned to find out. Mm-hmm. When 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 we were talking about that, I I remember like thinking when one enjoying that moment yeah. of watching that intro and being like <laughs> so i guess uh we shall see also yep. this is this is the last last note we swear oh my god this is so long i'm, I'm just looking at part of this we have the b5 yeah. discussion but oh my god we're so long on this one it doesn't yeah. matter this the last two episodes yeah. they're gonna be long uh, this is episode 100 of Person of Interest. What? Yeah, that yeah. that tracks. Honestly, yeah. like, yeah. If you're gonna have an episode where you, you know, kill off two major characters and have one character give the you know ominous rule speech, then here we go. Yeah. Next episode is uh, episode 11, Synecdoche. Written by J.C. Heldrick and Joshua Brown. Directed by Tim Matheson. I feel like I know that name, Tim Matheson. So I have to 
look. Oh, holy shit. No, Tim Matheson. Oh. Wow. Uh, where would you know Tim Matheson from? Um, I'm looking at his... Uh, so if you... Where would it's a sci-fi person? God, his bibliography is fucking intense. Um, so I know him um, from... Wow, he was on... He was a Burn Notice regular. So friends of the I show mean, probably might know him from there. He was the vice president on the West Wing. That's where I know yeah. him from. Yes, he wow. was John Hoynes on the West Wing. Yeah, I probably know. Him from, I probably know him most from Burn Notice because I'm, I'm an uncultured swine. Uh, he's been in fucking tons of stuff. His bibliography is legitimately huge. He played alumnus guy number four in American Pie Presents: The Book of Love. Oh my gosh, he 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 was in Van. Do you remember Van Wilder? Jeez. No. Um, no, the the one that got me is he was in Justice League Unlimited. Nice. Yeah, which nice. Ha, he's also apparently in Evil. Okay. <laughs> which apparently I I I keep I keep seeing actors from this show appear in there, and I'm like, I really just need to watch that if only for Michael Emerson and the other actors. Like, it, it may be just complete garbage, but I need to watch it. I would. I feel like I would love watch like i would love the i know that face factor but i would also be like watching it through like like peeking through my fingers (laughs) (laughs) because i am Uh, a baby (laughs) so let's uh okay sorry i gotta okay after that last episode i'm sure this one will be fun and chill not that much we start out with roots funeral uh so no not that much uh, it's just John and Fusco who lament that Root has to be buried under a fake name, and Fusco delivers the powerful eulogy, rest in peace, Cocoa Puffs, uh, which hits a lot harder than it sounds. Honest- you would think that I'm being sarcastic, but it actually is a touching moment. It was like, honestly, perfect Fusco. from him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Finch, meanwhile, is somewhere in Kentucky, uh, bantering with the machine like a crazy person just talking to himself in the middle of a fucking diner or not not in a diner i think he's in a he's parked on like just talking to himself yeah that's right he the diners later uh anyway now that it has a voice and i guess thanks to the back door the root installed maybe uh it's positively chatty reese meanwhile finds shaw on that playground capital t capital p um where she is processing her grief poorly uh, and tries to get Samaritan to come get her so she can start the simulation over by showing herself to a camera. But instead uh, of, instead, an agent of the machine, a.k.a. Thornhill, delivers her a new identity. She appears to be the machine's new uh, asset, like prime, not primary asset, um, like rotating identity asset, yeah. uh, taking over Root's position, which she seems very uncool with uh her furious reese's furious defense of their mission is rejected by her initially but just as he's winning her over the phone rings giving them a new number potus well not directly but more or less uh they head to dc where a news broadcast tells us that the president is trying to push some surveillance reform through congress and is opposed by logan pierce former number who is refusing to share data with the nsa the team attends a fundraiser, Shaw via invitation, 
But when Reese tries to crash via his badge, he is saved just in time by the aforementioned Pierce, who shows up and plays along with Reese's bluffing. Once inside, Logan is coy about why he's there, uh, and Shaw spots a waiter acting like he's either high as balls or nervous as fuck, neither of which seems like they'd fly at a benefit the president is attending. While Shaw chats with a senator's wife, her cover is a congressman's wife, John finds a brick that is full of Semtex. They stuff it in a fridge, which makes it a giant pipe bomb and seems like a bad choice, but whatever. What do I know about explosives? Um, and it, it explodes just before POTUS arrives, and then someone takes over the airwaves to broadcast a threat against the president uh, unless the mass surveillance programs are shut down. On his road trip, Finch stops at a diner and drinks a cup of coffee while chatting to the machine out loud about intentions and consequences, looking like a nut, nutty person speaking to themselves, just talking to themselves like they're having a whole conversation and nobody seems to care. This is one of those moments where the the the, the reality of the show sort of I breaks mean, down for me. This, like This goes for any show where people have like, you know, some sort of calm that's invisible yeah. and they just like talk to the air constantly and like we just we just all suspend our disbelief and like imagine that nobody can hear them yeah yeah uh anyway uh the machine begs to be allowed to help more people and finch seems somewhat convinced this scene is really interesting we'll talk about this scene later uh back in dc fusco watches the white house while reese and shaw interrogate the waiter Shaw, ref Shaw gives Reese about eight seconds of good copying before she goes right to threats. She threatens this waiter's friends and family, and he breaks like a saltine. They let him escape so they can track him while POTUS is on the move again. The waiter leads Shaw to a building full of government officials who are all in on the plot. These yuckles think that they can fucking hold a gun on Shaw, uh, which lasts, again, another couple of seconds before she beats the ho high holy shit out of all of them. Uh... <laughs> Justin, however, she's helped by A, the arrival of Fusco, and B, a well-timed blackout. They realize the target is somewhere in the square where the president plans to give a speech. Reese is trying to figure out what's going on when another former number runs into him. Joey Durbin, former bank From robber. episode three. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Way back. Uh, he's like chatty with with reese and reese is like i'm really busy right now let me get back to you um fusco and the team realize that the attack is coming via a uav so shaw shoots at a shoots at the president with his own sniper's rifle which forces him away from the sav the uav <sighs> now it's my turn to be tongue-tied which forces him away from the suv that the uav is targeting Reese and Shaw are saved from the Secret Service and Terrace by Durbin. As they escape, Shaw realizes that the fact that they got this number means the ISA didn't, which means Samaritan considered the president irrelevant. She swears she's going to destroy Samaritan for root. Uh, meanwhile, Fusco is saved by a third number, Harper Rose. Durbin, Pierce, and Rose, it turns out, are a machine team, complete with yellow boxes who received Reese's number. They give Reese a picture of Finch on a traffic cam in Texas before parting ways. In Texas, Finch has somehow fucking completely destroyed a military facility uh, in order to, to steal a virus called Ice-9, 
that has a chance to destroy Samaritan. He escapes while the machine distracts the guards and bribes another guard slash threatens another guard with an organ transplant. We'll talk about it. The scene is fucked up. And that's the episode. Yeah. Uh, what? Where do you start with this goddamn episode? I want episode? to talk about a computer virus because it's going to be important in the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Einstein is a real computer virus. It is, it is a virus that replicates itself which its activity which its name and behavior are referenced to like this is a thing that is in real life uh, they're both a reference to Kurt, uh, to cat's cradle by kurt vonnegut yeah which yeah it is a it, it is a um virus that self-replicates and spreads it's uh it's a very nasty computer virus um i just like i like the i like the sci-fi connection there yeah. Uh, speaking of real things, I, I knew that, you know, shit's really getting real on the show because they started dropping real company names. The Not best like one of those are. is Palantir, which, woof, that dates this episode. I know, right? I mean, Palantir still exists. Yeah. It's still out there. It's renamed itself since uh, in the interim. But Palantir, like, as a company still exists. Oh, yeah. And it's owned by an absolute garbage can of a human being. So yeah, yeah. The 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 fact of like, oh hey, now this is referencing real companies, while the fictional billionaire Logan Pierce is the only one who's like got a problem with anything. Which the only good billionaires <laughs> are fictional. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You cannot convince me that Jimmy Simpson did not get his role on Westworld because of this. No, show. yeah, I mean he. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, if nothing else, it's like he he did he 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 put out two very I think memorable performances in a guest spot, and that yeah. like and if nothing put him on the radar of of the Nolan, yeah. and if there's nothing else that a Nolan loves, it's bringing back an actor they've worked with before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he 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 has like. Such good energy in both of his performances in this. Like I said, I don't even know where to begin with this episode. Uh, Shaw stuff? Let's talk about the fun stuff. Uh, Number one fun stuff is the existence of another machine team composed of Logan Pierce, Jimmy Durbin, and Harper Rose, which is such a fucking dope lineup of former numbers. Yeah, and like... And the idea of like... I, I love when Pierce is like, did you think New York City had a monopoly on, on murder and crime? And Reese has this look on his face like, oh, yeah, I used to travel the world killing people. <laughs> like, he's so flabbergasted by the idea that other people might be doing this. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I really love it. And and also, like, you know, it makes me wonder how many former, former numbers have been recruited by the machine. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be so many. Yeah. Because they send these people who have had their lives fucking tossed like a bag of jelly beans into a dryer out. Their lives are all fucked up. They get chucked out into the world with a new social security number, you know, up until last season via Finch's enormous wealth and hacking skills. And expect them to just what? Rent an apartment and get a job? 
they have learned something bizarre and weird about the about the world, and they know that these weird people exist. Meanwhile, the machine is trying to sees relevant numbers literally everywhere and is probably looking for people to help everywhere. And it's like, well, here's a person that has, you know, already is halfway to knowing what I do. Especially the ISA isn't taking the machine's calls anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, It makes teams. so much sense to me that those are the people that it would dial yeah. up. And, you know, honestly, this is, you know, we were talking last time about, you know, threads threads that i wish had been like followed up um and this is this kind of like actually fits that vibe of something being followed up on for me yeah um that like you know i i was really like kind of curious about what happened to roots roots like you know team root um Mm -hmm. yeah and you know we don't see what happens to them directly, but I think this like vibes in the same path of like there being there being other other machine teams out there, you know that's not just this cluster of weirdos. Yeah, no, I agree. I I, I particularly love this this grouping. Uh, there's a lot of great numbers that I would like to see mo- that I I like to imagine are out working for the machine. The the CIA agent, his name escapes me right now. The CIA agent who discovered the existence of the machine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of others, like, but I this this is a great group. Logan Pierce as like the 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 not the anti-finch, but like the <laughs> nega <Yeah>. finch. <laughs> the mustache finch of their group <laughs> is so good. I I just, yeah, his comment, uh, you know, the fact that you were the number took, uh, made it pretty clear that you were the, you know, the victim, not the perpetrator, which takes some of the fun out of it is such a good comment. Yeah. And that's exact. that's like exactly the vibe that that character would have. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting that like, yeah, we have the super rich person heading the team and like hyper-competent, skilled people um, coming around here. I think you are much more likely to end up on a machine team if you have, like, a cool skill set. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, 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 like, the random numbers of the week who are like, oh, I'm a teacher getting saved by somebody, the, never getting recruited. No, no, but these... These people like that stumble on the machine or are exceptional in some way and that gets them targeted. Those are obviously the ones that you think will get picked up, like the CIA agent, um, like these three, uh, like Root's machine team. It's great. It's it's yeah. it's a really nice little th- bit about this episode. And I like how happy that team is to have been able to help. Yeah. They're all so thrilled to have been like able to to bail out Reese. Oh yeah, it's they just look. It's a thrilled. It's a really like, I think yeah, that is one thing that like oh hey this feels like a very it's a very happy payoff of like oh hey, the people you saved in Act One come back at the end. Yeah, yeah, and it's it shows that the the good they've done has really improved and come back to them. Yeah, and it's it's another like reminder, especially especially against like Harold's perpetual nihilism yes um that like what they've been doing matters god 
Okay, let's talk yeah. about Harold, who I swear to God, if 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 what I want to put Harold on like a trial after the show because <laughs> I fucking yeah, Harold is basically so. Let's start with the first of his crimes, which is that he's stealing a virus that he knows will cause mass collateral damage, mm-hmm. which is. I mean, I get it. Samaritan is arguably the bigger problem. I I can follow that logic. Mm -hmm. But you can look around that base and you can see the the casualties that he is willing to inflict to get there. I think it's implied the machine did that. I I do not think that Harold... Obviously, I don't think that that Finch like beat up all those people and shot them. But I think that he made a request. It's splitting hairs to suggest that Finch does not bear the responsibility for those, for those choices. But then he gets to the, uh, the, he, one of the soldiers gets the drop on him and Finch is fed information by the machine that this guy's daughter is, is waiting for a heart transplant. And he tells this guy, you have two choices. You can let me go and she gets a heart tomorrow or I send her to the back of the list and she dies. And let me tell you, as someone whose kid went through some heart stuff, that fucking didn't feel good. It's yeah, like it is legitimately evil, I think. Yeah, I... I think that even if you never plan to do it. Making making the threat. Yeah. 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 Making a threat against someone who is in such a uh a, a, a vulnerable position mm-hmm. is real fucked up. And I think I'm not a soldier. I don't know what that's like, but I think making a soldier choose between the the lifestyle they have defined themselves by and their child is particularly demented. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get why the writers did it and they probably didn't think about it very hard, but I think it's pretty jacked. Um, and I think it shows uh, a ruthlessness to Finch that, I don't know, does it feel like it's in character? Does it feel like it's out of character? I can't tell at this point. But I don't like I it. I think, like, if you remove the second part of it, it is, it, like, the, 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 like, if you take out the menace of it, mm-hmm. it becomes a, like, this is, that's like a season two or three Herald move. Yeah. Yeah. This, however, is, I, it's still a very Herald move, but it's, it is a guy who is desperate and he is back to the old me the one that is willing to ha- was willing to hack darpa for the shit of it yeah I, there's a i think that his biggest fear has always been that this this thing he has created this this, this whole situation is going to is is going to start killing his friends and now he has had two of them die right in front of him in the space of a couple of hours mm-hmm. And I think he is reached the point where he feels like it doesn't matter now. Consequences are like no amount of of uh, of sort of 
collateral damage matters because it like everything is everything is fucked. Yeah. And the only thing that matters now is the the outcome, preventing Samaritan. Yeah. And like uh, that speech, the rule speech he gives where he's like, the only thing that matters now is how many of my rules am I willing to break? And, you know, is it effect? I think it might be effective. I think the fact that we don't like it might be what intended. It might be what they were aiming for. Yeah. I don't know. Um, either way, it's like it's fucking chilling. Agreed. And I what one, one of my favorite parts of this episode is the start of it where like Harold is fixing up the car and root and the machine is talking to him and the machine says about root that I says, I loved her and you taught me how. Um, yeah. And, yeah. That's a, that's and a moment. She talks about, you know, like I, 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 you know, I see all these people. I live through thousands of simulations I experienced her death thousands of times in those final minutes. And what is love if not being seen? Yeah, what a line. Oh, it's so good. Um, yeah. And this is, she was special. She was capable of terrible things, but she chose to do well. <sighs> Which I feel uh, like I feel like that's dropping a hint to Harold right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing by uh, butthead. Yeah, uh, we've got so so much good Shaw stuff in this episode too. Like, yeah, we've got yeah Shaw's a hot mess in this God. episode. Yeah. Um, Shaw on the playground. Um, we've got the return of like scary action Shaw. Um, yeah, can you imagine just for a moment? Imagine how dumb you have to be now to give these people credit. They have no idea. They think they've caught a grass snake <laughs> when in fact it is, I don't know. I, I don't have, I'm not going to Google it, but what's the most poisonous or venomous snake in the, in the world? Hold on. Let's, I'm going to Google this because now I'm curious. Oh my God. I hate Google. <laughs> I typed it, most, got a nice I typed most and it said most venomous snake. Why would you, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's pretty I hate, I hate terrifying. I like I know it's just to me because I have a bike on because it's just like uh um Yeah. So, um all right, we're going to do this. But, uh, content warning talking about poisonous snakes. Jump ahead like 2 minutes if you want if you don't want to hear about that. Um so the most venomous snake in the world is the inland or western taipan, Oxyrhynchus microlepidotus. Um Okay. It so, is native to Australia. Imagine. In the least surprising fact I have ever learned. I was gonna say you didn't have to add that. I just assumed. Um, shout out! Shout out to our loyal um, listeners in Australia. Uh, the amount of toxic so imagine, agent is sufficient to kill fifty percent of a population of animals, usually within a certain time. Um, wow! It is responsible. Oh, it, it, it like it's self, the poison also self propagates. It is responsible for as many deaths to humans as all other snakes combined. Wow. <laughs> so I think we can safely say that, yes, this is an accurate analogy. It's like thinking you've caught a garden snake 
and it turns out to be a great Western Taipan. <laughs> These poor fucking, like, dweeby congressional wives and nerds pull guns on Shaw. Inclu- and she including is- the, tiny, the tiny purse gun. <laughs> yeah. And Shaw looks so absolute. At most, she looks embarrassed that they actually got the guns out. And then she just absolutely whips the shit out of everybody in that room. I, I, um, it's like, it's like when you're playing a game and you, you've like super beefed up your character. You have a build that is working for you and some asshole from like the back in like the first act of this game comes back and you're just like, Oh honey, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I love that scene because it was just like as soon as they pulled the guns, I was like, oh, you guys, you have no idea how thoroughly you done fucked up. Uh, only if, imagine if she had been a couple of years ago, <laughs> you'd all just be dead. Right. She'd just yeah. murder you all. You're lucky if the worst you get is just shot a little bit. I forgot to mention one thing from the last episode that I really liked is when they're in the, 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 bil- the temp building. Uh, Fusco shoots a guy in the leg, like right in the kneecap, and John's like, "Nice shot." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was he he does it, and I was like, "Look at him shooting just like just like an asset," and as if he read my mind, Reese compliments him on his shooting. It's amazing. <laughs> it was so um, good. Also, my favorite thing is when um, when when John picks up the phone for the call, we get into machine view, and we get to see. Uh, that because apparently the machine likes a bit, uh, we get we get the beast, which is the actual technical name, or which is mm-hmm. the actual nickname for mm-hmm. the president's uh, motorcade or the president's limousine, and marine and like they get it, it's marine one or HMX one, which is what marine one is called when the president is not aboard, and we learned that the that the actual they like that the the president does not get a number like we, it's not the usual number he has a relevant one <laughs> which is just amazing. my favorite yeah yeah uh it's amazing yeah it's very funny. and and like either the machine has a sense of humor or like or like that's what Nathan coded it <laughs> that's what Nathan said it should be back yeah. when I do also love that, like, Shaw, Shaw de- does get to show off some stuff that's not just, like, straight up, like, being a badass murder mm-hmm. lady. Um, like, you know, yeah. swiping the walkie-talkie and connecting up to the mesh network. Like, that's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also... She, she's in ISA mode in this yeah. episode. Yeah. I also love the... and And it's nice because, like... A lot of what we see from Shaw is the more like, you know, action violence thing. And it's nice. It's nice to see her use some, you know, she's got a lot of skills. Oh, yeah. I also really like the Fusco and Shaw interactions in this episode. Oh, I missed them um, so much. And and yeah. the thing is, like, the fact that Fusco, I mean, like, aside from the obvious reasons that Fusco is worried about her, Fusco is worried about her because she's not bantering and insulting him. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah. She's not being mean to me. What's wrong? Right. Yeah, there's there's some good some good bits there. 
for sure. The part, the one part of this episode that I legitimately dislike is that they think that a good solution to this situation, rather than just chucking the bomb out into like the distance, is to stuff it in a fridge. Which, look, I grew up in the 90s when pipe bombs were like a popular thing uh, to, for people to do at schools. Uh, and we all got taught a lot about the fact that like you don't stuff an explosive in a confined space. You know why? It makes it do you, bigger. Do you, know why, do you know why this became popular? Like this this trope. I'm going to guess it's James Bond movies. No, it's Indiana Jones in the fridge. Fuck you, yeah. really? <laughs> well, one more thing to blame Steven Spielberg for. <laughs> that's, um, that's such an <laughs> ominous line. <laughs> um, that that is he... Uh, Wait, wait. Don't Listen, it's been 25 e. years since I've seen E.T., but what's your... What, I'm curious, what's your beef with E.T.? I just hate the movie. Have you seen okay. E.T.? I just hate the movie. I, I, literally I despise the, it. The last time I saw it, I was eight or, like, something. Yeah, yeah. I just I just hate it. I, Every time I see it, I just hate it. Yeah. Okay. Just, just despise it. It's a nightmare. Yeah, no, we don't... Anyway. I don't fuck That's, with E.T. I don't uh, fuck with E.T. That is the name of the episode there. <laughs> Um, it's just such a, 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 a laughable solution to this problem. If you have even the faintest notion of how explosives yeah. work, like putting a bomb in a fridge is going to make it worse. It's going to blow up. It's going to make the explosion that much more dramatic. Wasn't this even on Mythbusters at some point? Maybe not the specific thing, but I'm, I'm sure, sure putting a did, bomb I'm in a fridge. I'm pretty sure they did bomb in a fridge at some point. I'm yeah. sure they did. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, however, we will say that, you know, there is a certain like, oh, hey, it's a trope on television. Fine. Like, yeah. I'm willing to accept it. I'm I, I yeah. do not expect all television writers to watch R Mythbusters religiously. They should, though. I expect okay, I, I should just expect all TV writers to just listen to John Rogers for 30 minutes and they will become better writers. But that's that. Yeah, I don't expect all TV writers to watch Mythbusters. I do, however, expect someone <laughs> in charge, someone before an episode of a TV show that regularly involves bombs and guns, who knows how those things work, to look at a script and be like, no, that's not how that works. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I don't, you know... You can't shoot a plane down with a handgun. So why would you make a bomb do the opposite of what it does when you stuff it in a fridge? That's all I'm asking for. I don't feel like that's too much to ask. <laughs> Apparently it is. I just want the I, anyway, I just want the TV writers to hold the line on the uh and uh hold the picket lines for the strike. Yeah. I That's I, what I want. I'm just imagining Captain Kirahi. <laughs> God, there, there, there's always just like those lines that stick with you. And it's like, yeah, no, I, this word, which is this phrase, which is a normal phrase is brought in my brain. I wanted to ping briefly off of the um, the episode title 
um, synecdoche, yeah. which apparently it was, I'm, I wasn't familiar with the word, so I looked it up. And it's apparently a figure of speech where a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa. Um, yeah. like interesting. Calling, like calling the president, like, or referring to the White House as like the, the executive branch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think it, so that's could be one thing, but the, a figure of speech where a part is made to represent the whole. Um, or vice versa. You could also look at, or vice versa, where you could also look at that like uh, the machine yeah. teams. Ooh, yeah. 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 I like that. Oh, I do. Oh, Shaw also has a great line about when, like, John, when John is like, we can't let the president get into the SUV shoot at him and then and, and Sean's like whatever you say Wilkes it's Booth such a good response. it's it's such a great like old like flashback to the old yeah. Shaw moment yeah. <laughs> where she's like sure I'll shoot at the president I've done weird I maybe I haven't done weirder shit <laughs> and, he, and John's like we're not trying to kill. She's like, I missed on purpose. <laughs> yeah, John, you should. I just love that you line. Know that the, okay, that good of a whatever you say, yeah. Wilkes Booth. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how fun an episode this was. Like even even just on the heels of last one, which was like a gut punch. Yeah, yeah, and even though it there is some like dark stuff in it, it does. It is very fun seeing the other machine team. A little bit of. Shaw coming back to herself. Um, yeah, there there are some fun moments in this yeah. episode. And you know, it's it's funny to have an antagonist that's not Samaritan. Oh yeah, but like, it's very funny. That Samar- it's very funny that Samaritan is just not involved in this whatsoever. Yeah, like it's hilarious. Yeah. I it's it's it is involved in as much as it is conspicuous in its absence. Yes. Yeah. That the fact that it is not involved. It's just like decided to let this is, play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is, is noteworthy. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? Uh, like, uh, and that's part of why like Shaw gets her hackles up at the end is she believes even now she believes in the ISA's mm-hmm. mission to, pr- you know, protect against relevant threats. And the fact that Samaritan has utterly abandoned that, relevant one it's she's kind of pissed about that yeah like it's bad enough you kill her girlfriend but also you've abandoned the whole like relevancy thing like she's really offended by that and kind of wakes her up a little bit yeah i respect that and and you know it shows shows that it's not a simulation because samaritan would never look that bad in its own simulation yeah (laughs) yeah because the whole point of the simulations was trying to trying to Convince her that no Samaritan's actually good. Yeah, yeah. Join us, Shaw. <laughs> oh, there's another fun fact, which, or I don't know if it's fun. Like you can decide <laughs> it on your own. It's 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 a level of like once you hear it, you're like, uh. So the invitation for Shaw to the to the charity gala is November fourth, which makes the next day the day of the attempted sass- assassination, Guy Fox Day. <laughs> These people are really. I I do not approve. I I I, of these I, shitty like, I think it's revolutionary from, from a outside perspective. 
I think that's very funny because, it, yeah, it makes these people who are like trying to do this, you know, who are trying to kill the president look like the stupidest fucking chumps. Yes. Yeah. Do we have more? We are wildly I don't, over we're time. Not over time. We don't ever have a time limit of these episodes. Not over but time. we have, I think we have, like, these are, I'm, we're, we're in the home stretch here. This is our penultimate yeah. episode. We're, we're only in B5 levels of, you know, time. Yeah. Like, we've had longer yeah. episodes. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Next time. Um, it will be our series finale. Um, we are going to, that one will also go extra long because we will be doing a series summary. Um, we will have funny questions for Anna and as well as just general discussion about the show, as well as covering our last two episodes, which are episodes 12 and 13 of season five dot exe and return zero until next time or until last time for one last time we are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Mm-hmm.